my signal that I'm supposed to go to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're reading verses 17 through 24. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. This is a passage that seems to be unrelated. We have already dealt with it briefly as it applied to the context of chapter 7 dealing with singleness and somewhat on marriage. Uh, we are going to handle it independently today. And so we want to read just these verses. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom. God's Word says, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Well, this morning my message is going to come down to really a single word, but I want to use it in its fullest way. We come down to a passage of Scripture that describes for us a new level of contentment. And that's the word I want to focus in on, is the idea that the Christian life is one that would be characterized by contentment. That there is perhaps no greater evidence that we are truly dependent upon the Lord, that we are thankful that we grasp the nature of His grace, then when we um, go through our lives content with such things as we have, it tells us that things are right. We often view the idea of contentment with the material world. That we think, well, contentment means that I'm not supposed to be coveting after that car or that gadget or that house or that... And we usually associate almost entirely with material things. That I should be content with such things as I own, as I have, as I carry. And there's certainly that aspect to it. But Paul drives us even further into grasping what contentment is really about. That it's more substantive than just, am I pleased with my wardrobe and I don't need to go to the mall this week? It is much more important than that. And here we want to evaluate it. And so we pick up in verse 17 and we find, first of all, right away, we are confronted with the origin of not only our things, but the origin of even the circumstances in which we live. That is, as God has distributed to each one. That as God has been at work and involved in our life, we are recognizing that our attitude toward our own lives really bespeaks what our attitude is towards God. In such, to such a degree that when God looks at the unthankful, He considers them unholy. And in fact, His enemies. That discontentment is driven by an attitude that rather than sees God's grace, rather wants to blame God for gracelessness. 
This week in camp, one of the lies that we learned that Satan used from the very beginning was that God isn't good. And therefore, once God isn't good, then I can question every command He has made. And we have evaluated some of those over the last few weeks regarding singleness and and marriage, regarding uh, the virgin daughters. And and we can look at that and say, well, that's just not fair. And as soon as we say that that's not fair, what we're really saying is God isn't fair, God isn't good. And that thought, when it enters your mind, is Satan's ploy, just as powerful as it was in the Garden of Eden, God withheld this from you. He's keeping something good away from you. This is Satan's lie. And we're going to find it here in this passage that the propensity of man is to look around and say, I'm not being treated fairly. God isn't good to me. And so we are going to be confronted with the fact that at the origin of this all is God as our provider, God as our creator, God as our guide, God as the one on whom we are dependent. And thus, when we complain, and why God says do all things without murmuring or disputing, without complaining, complaining is a sin, our complaint ultimately is against God. How could He do this to me? Before we look at this any further, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, for the opportunity to look in your word. We pray for your help during this time. You might remove distractions from our mind, from our midst, that you might have the preeminence here and that your word might go forth with great power. Your truth might be spoken and guarded in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God has distributed to each one. And uh, this is the source. This is the origin. And now we find out what is he referring to. He says, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. God has placed a calling upon us. And this is in reference to the Christian walk, which begins the day we commit ourselves when we surrender our will to God's will. That salvation act, we come to God and says, I can do nothing. I am a sinner. And anything I choose is sin except for this one choice, which is for you. When I give you my will and surrender my person to you, uh, you become my Savior and my Lord. Now, that, from, from that point all the way uh, through the Christian life, this is your calling. The calling isn't just uh, uh, conviction of sin so you'll get saved, but the calling of God is His demand upon the entirety of your life. That He demands that you receive Christ as your Savior. He demands that you repent of your sin. This is the demand He makes for all men. Those who obey that demand and submit to that demand of God enjoy eternal life. Those who resist that demand of God and reject that demand uh, have eternity in the lake of fire, in judgment. But His demand is for all men. And so His calling to all men is that you walk with Him. And that begins by a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And it continues all your days in Christ. And He says there's a certain way you ought to be doing this. It's not the way pastor says it should be done. It's not the way you think it should be done. It's not the way the society or your culture says to do it. It is the way the Lord has said for you to do it. And there is some distinguishment between us. That is, there is a variety And while we talk about walking in righteousness, there is a certain degree of variety between us that we are all not, we're not all feet. We're not all elbows. We are not all ears. He has distributed to us a variety of gifts through the Holy Spirit, but also a variety uh, in terms of what we've just been discussing in the context of chapter 7, both of those who will remain unmarried, those who need to get married and remain in that, those who are widows, those who are um, in the condition of even having to dealing with an ungodly uh, marriage, uh, or not marriage, but ungodly spouse. And uh, we have all of this and we say, well, now I am in this condition. And somehow, even in that condition, even in in whatever condition you are in, God came to you and called you to a relationship with Him. And I want to right away 
get us to understand that when we talk about God distributing to each one, that what we are talking about isn't that God gave you a horrible, miserable marriage. It's not what I'm referring to. But rather, that God came to us in whatever condition we were in to give us His grace. They looked at you and says, okay, well, you've, you failed in this area and that area, but I'm still going to call you to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm one to distribute to you. I'm going to give to you my grace that is sufficient for you to walk with me. You have dis- destroyed your life. I am prepared to grace your life. And God is always good. And so um, it isn't that God isn't interested in, in saving divorced people or of uh, going in and delivering uh, people involved in any level of error or sin, but rather He wants to distribute His grace to them. And He calls all men to Himself, and those that respond to that calling now are required to give that for their whole life. So He comes to us, and we bring this baggage, and yes, He removes the baggage in terms of its uh, judgment in terms of it being a barrier between us and God. And yet we also recognize that that baggage is earthbound. It's bound up in our flesh. And thus, as long as we are in this flesh, we are bound to that, not the guilt of it, but the consequences of that. And don't think that somehow God can't even use that in a powerful, wonderful way. And we have a couple of great examples out of the Old Testament of this, of uh, men messing things up and getting God's judgment. That judgment never went away, and yet God was able to use that judgment to bless Israel. One of the best ones, one of the ones I really like, is Levi. Levi committed a horrific act and was cursed by his father, and God honored that curse and says, you are not going to have a your own place of inheritance in Israel. You're not going to have it. And so there is no land mass in Israel. There's no tribal assignment for Levi. Levi and Simeon were the two that were did that and uh, uh, made Israel a stench in the nation and, and, and in, the, in the area. And so God followed that curse that, that Jacob issued at his death and and that because of your act of violence, um, you're not going to have a portion of the land, which is the promise of Israel. Well, later on, Levi does a very different thing. Generations later, granted, um, but here's a curse of God that will never go away for Levi. They did something wicked, and here is the consequence of that, and it never went away. But generations later, here are, is the tribe of Levi at the base of the mountain when all of the rest of Israel is still wallowing in the sin that stirred God to anger, setting themselves apart and says, we are on the Lord's side. And because of Levi's stand that day as a tribe, as a, as a body, that God says, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be my priests. Whoa! This is the tribe that's cursed and will not have any land called Levi. But yet, they are now given this wonderful role to be the go-between of between Jehovah and His people. They are the ones that are going to be offering the sacrifices. They're going to be the lawgivers. They're going to be the judges of the land. And they're going to have a very blessed state as a tribe. But did God undo the curse? No. But He turned the curse into a blessing. And so still they didn't have land. And so God says every tribe is going to give them a city. And they're going to have Levites and they're going to get 10%. They're going to get 10% uh, of whatever you bring in. You're going to send to Levi as a tithe to me. And so Levi didn't have a land that they could go out and farm or raise sheep on. Um, and so they didn't have it. And they didn't have 
a, a, a boundaries. If you look at the, the division of the land in Joshua, they didn't have those boundaries, but they were well taken care of because they were given 10% out of each tribe. Now think about it. You have 12 tribes. Two of them are saying you're not going to have boundaries. Simeon is swallowed up by Judah. You're going to have Joseph split. Okay, so Joseph becomes two tribes. So you have essentially 11 tribes giving 10% to Levi. So what is Levi's position? They're getting 110 compared to 90 of the others. You see how God can take them and say, okay, you messed up back there and you're going to have consequences the rest of your life for that. It's never going away on this earth. But over here, you chose to follow me and to walk with me. And so now, um, you don't have to sit there and say, oh, why can't we have a land? We want to have boundaries. We want to have a place. Can't you undo the curse? You see, that's natural man. That's discontentment. That's unthankfulness. That's a failure to recognize that we still have to deal with the past even today in our flesh. So, was Levi guilty? Well, they were in the loins of their father just as much as them as a tribe were in the loins of Abraham when he gave tithes to Melchizedek, Hebrews says. And so, they bore that but they bore it happily. And now God says, because you're going to choose to honor me, I'm going to take that. And now it's going to be a blessing instead of a curse. And oh, that we would view those things as in our current living. This is God distributing something to me. He wants to grace my life, not by going back and undoing that which um, I have to live with the rest of my life. I can't be rendered again. And that's not what it means to be a new creation in Christ. But rather, now that I've committed myself to God, now He's going to grace me. And that doesn't mean that He's going to change my physical condition. And we come into here, and, it's, and here's the instruction. Here's the the command, if you will, that Paul directs in all the churches, ordains in all churches. Um, and this is consistent. We're going to look at that in Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, um, in First and Second Timothy and Titus. Paul's consistent here. He says, listen, this is the way things need to be if you're going to be calling yourselves the children of God. And so he comes into verse 18 and 19. The first thing he picks up on is circumcision. He's probably already confronted that. He already has. We already know he has because the book of Galatians has already been written. Um, and so he's dealt with that. And so he knows that that's out there, kind of a rumbling around the church. You know, um, I was saved and I was a good Jewish person. And, and so now I'm going to become a good Gentile person. Or I was a Gentile person. I was saved. And, and now I guess I should keep the whole law. And Paul says to the Galatians, what are you doing? Circumcision means nothing. Uh, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. It is not something to be worked up about. Be content with what you were when you were saved. All right, I'm circumcised and I'm saved. I'm not. I, I, I and and I've been raised all my life with with following the Mosaic law. And as long as I view it as not my salvation, but just my the way I live, there's nothing evil in it. You want to live out that circumcision and circumcise your children, your sons after you? That's fine. As long as you don't sit there and say, Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Oh, why did I have to be stuck with all this Jewish stuff? Why couldn't I have been a Gentile? And likewise, for a Gentile to come in and say, Oh, I'm going to try to replicate my Jewish friends, because they're probably closer to God because they know Hebrew. Really? You think that's the key to having a close walk with God? You've got to know the original language. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to be keeping the Mosaic Law. And by the way, there's a whole group of people who still think that today. And so um, they'll go in and they'll form their little messianic congregations and they'll use interesting terms like Yahweh. Like they got the secret way of saying God's word, God's name. Oh, I serve Yahweh. We'll go, ooh, 
I serve Jehovah. Is that the same guy? It's the same word. We just don't know how to pronounce it. Because Israel stopped using it. No one knows how to pronounce it. And we get this spiritual arrogance over it. And it was evident there in Paul. And, and Paul says to the Galatians, what are you thinking? And let's turn over to the Galatians very quickly. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Um, <clears throat> verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. As soon as you start thinking that you need Christ plus anything, Christ isn't working for you. And if you think you need Christ plus circumcision, you've just negated the work of Christ in your life. As soon as you say, I need Christ plus baptism, you've negated the work of Christ. As soon as you say, I need Christ plus uh, going to confessional or Christ plus, you have done away with the work of Christ because no, you're no longer trusting in Him, but you're trusting in Him mixed with yourself. And Paul says, this is the danger. Christ has done nothing for you if you need to add to what He's done. He says, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You're, You're the slave of the law. And you can't keep the whole law. We all know that. This is you become estranged from Christ. Boy, that's a scary thing, isn't it? Estranged. What that means is that um, you have separated, you have reseparated yourself from God. You say, Pastor, did they just lose their salvation? Well, that's essentially what Paul's been saying all through the book of Galatians. Has my work for you been in vain? Have I wasted my time that now, having tasted of the heavenly gift, you want to turn back and go back to the old ways of the law? Do you really want to bring that kind of division between you and God afresh, having having been brought to Christ? Now do you want to be strangers to Christ? Do you want to be separated from Christ? Do you want to not be on an intimate relationship with Him anymore? What are you thinking? Why would you want to go back to that? And I'll tell you why we want to go back to that. You ready? Because we can boast in ourselves. I know the secret name of God. And I can pronounce it better than you. I have, and and it goes on and on, I have the right version of the Bible and it's better than yours. Doesn't mean I'm living it, but I have it, you know. And as soon as we add any of us to Christ... You have just violated Christ. Understand that. And so Paul says, if you were coming to Christ, if you came to Christ called in a condition out of Gentileness or out of Jewishness, trust in Christ, follow Christ. And don't concern yourself with all this. Keep the commandments of God. That's what matters now. Walk with Him. Not according to the law of the Old Testament that was there to teach us sin, but rather according to the law of Christ, which is driven by love, which Galatians 5 goes on to say that the manner in which we live is love. And if it's not loving towards God, if it's not loving towards each other, if it's not loving towards the world, don't do it! And anything that lifts, exalts me, I'm going to say this over and over again, anything that I begin to boast in myself, I am robbing from God. God is the source, the origin. And when I start boasting on me, what I have done to somehow walk better with God, um, and I heard some of that the last night of, of camp from some of the campers and it concerned me that they weren't grasping what was being taught them. As soon as I start saying, hey, I read the Bible every day, I go to church every week, and as soon as we start thinking that that has somehow brought about God's grace in our life, we are robbing God of His glory. I do those things because I have a debt to pay 
not to the world and not to me and, and not to the law, but to God of grace who has brought me this. And I do this because it, it is, is the natural thing spiritually for a spiritual person to do, to partake of spiritual food. It's like walking around boasting and said, I ate lunch. Well, good for you. Don't we all? You know, I haven't heard any of you walk up and say, Hey, uh, Pastor, uh, I ate three meals a day this week, all week long. None of you come in here and say that. Nobody sits around a campfire at the end of camp and say, Hey, I ate every meal today, this week. Aren't you impressed? That's how I've gotten so strong physically. We don't sit around and boast on that because it's like, well, duh, everyone does that. But for Christians to sit around and boast about praying and about reading God's Word, it's like, okay, aren't we all doing that? That's nothing to boast in. That's the minimum. Oh, that we would listen to Luke who said, when we have done everything God has commanded us, what is our condition? What is our what is our response to God? <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't glorify me. I have only done what I have to do. I am an unprofitable servant. I have only done what was my duty to do. That's after you obeyed all of it. It has become one of my favorite verses in the Bible, really, to tell you the truth. And for this generation particularly, because I hear a lot of boasting. And once we start boasting in our spiritual activity, oh, we are in danger. Rather, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've just done what my duty to do needs to be our answer. So there's great danger here in thinking that somehow I have to climb into or climb up by my own effort and energies into this higher strata by either circumcision or uncircumcision. There's that group out there that thinks, you know, there's the legalistic group that says, I'm, we're going to show that we're closer to God by our performance uh, in, in these areas and, and show you guys up. And then there's another group that I've also had to deal with in the past. I remember one church in Michigan I was involved in, and they kind of took it the whole other way. That they thought standing fast in liberty meant that they could just uh, behave however they walk and, and however they want, and that showed their maturity and don't judge us. And, and they showed no respect, no honor to God, and, and they gloried in it. And it was like, and so yes, this is very real going on today. There are those who want to go to this end of the spectrum and say, "I'm of the circumcision." I keep the law. I live the Ten Commandments. I eat like the Garden of Eden. They're over here. And they're boasting in their own efforts as though Christ did nothing for them. And Paul says, if that's the case, then Christ really did nothing for you. Then you have the people who are way over here and are boasting in their liberty and saying, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And alcohol, no problem. You know, the, the Bible says just don't get drunk. And I have no, I can drink as long as I don't get drunk. And, 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 and they have a whole list of things that they can do um, because they have this liberty in Christ and they are boasting in that. And as soon as they begin boasting in that, they are robbing God and they are alienated from Him. And so there's today those that want to be of the circumcision and there are those that want to be of the uncircumcision. Oh, that we realize that we are the recipients of God's grace and wherever we came to God from was of not a power position, but a weak position. And that we'd be content to say, here I am, Lord. And I'm going to try to walk with you. Not to earn anything or to become something else, but rather because of your great grace, I'm going to keep your commandments to your glory. And so remain in the calling in which you is called, which is not to be to want to anything that we can boast in, but rather we boast in Christ. And then he brings up a secondary one. I'm going to go late because we had testimony. We started 10 minutes late. And so I haven't really preached that long yet. The second area is going to pick up is slavery. I'm going to take you again to the epistles, another epistle, so you can see the consistency in Paul. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, if you will, with me. 
And I'd also like to take you to Titus and Timothy. Uh, they both deal with both of these areas, Paul and his young preachers. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, children obey your parents. We get right off the front and we say, well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. He quotes it right there. Um, yes, it does. It talks about fathers, how to deal with it. Uh, look at verse 5. It says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatenings, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Wow. So here we are in this condition. And I I really meant to spend most of my message on this part right now. Um, Here we have men who are coming to Christ who are slaves. And there's a great number of them. Paul says, be content. That is, continue to function, not just uh, pouting along the way and say, I have to be this way because Paul said so. But rather, with all your heart, serve your master. Recognizing that the better you serve your master, you're really serving Christ and and He's going to receive the glory. Do it with all of your heart, with purity. Giving full effort and energy to it. Not that you will get praise, but that God will receive the praise. And so if you're a slave, be a slave for Christ. And if you're not a slave and you're a free or a master, um, use it for Christ. Don't boast in it. But rather, elevate Christ. And he talks about that. You masters, you make sure you treat your bondservants very well, your slaves well. And uh, again, God's watching you. You're not the ultimate boss you recognize i am a servant myself to god and so now in my leadership or my my lording over these that are brought under my service that i own in the society's way that i'm gonna treat them well knowing that god's gonna hold me accountable especially those of the faith but all of them i say pastor what do you mean by all this Should I have no ambition in life? Should I just stay in the condition I'm in? And so, you know, if I'm here, should I not try to get to the next level up in in my company? Or uh, should I just be happy with, um, you know, flipping burgers and not want to become the manager or the owner and on, on, on? Uh, That's not what I'm saying. In fact, Paul has a little phrase in here that gives us room for ambition. Look at it in 1 Corinthians 7. He says in verse 21, Were you called while a slave? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. If you can be made free, you can pursue that. But make sure you're doing it for the right reason. And so I'm not here going to be kill all ambition. That's not what contentment does. What contentment does is says that I can balance my ambition. And this we don't do. Americans typically, up until really this generation uh, or two, maybe my generation a little bit began to uh, have some evidence of that. Um, We have been uh, uh, with ambition on steroids. I mean, really, Americans have ambition with steroids. And And politically, geopolitically, we still do. We still have that kind of ambition. Uh, and that's why, uh, you know, we're going to climb the corporate ladder. We're going to step on anyone to get ahead. And we're going to, you know, do those kinds of things. And we see that around us in the workplaces, right? That uh, if you can't get ahead by achievement, you get ahead by pulling others down around you. Make them look bad. And I've had a deal. I've been in managerial roles. I've been in the mop and floors all the way up through managerial roles and in, in, in work environments. And I've seen it all. I, you know, this, this kid that's not going to work because I'm his boss and he doesn't want to make me look good. 
That's ambition on steroids. It's not very wise ambition because you're not going to get very far if you can't please your own boss. But, but uh, and we we think that we're going to. Uh, I remember the one guy getting interviewed and and uh, you know what what do you see as your long term goals for your employment? I want your job. I was like, I'm sure you think that that is trying to show ambition, but um, it's just ambition on steroids. So there's a balance point between an ambition and a contentment. And it's recognizing that it's not really necessary for me to climb that ladder. And if by God's grace there's means available for my rise in society, then so be it. It's not that I'm going to turn away every offer to get a promotion. But neither am I working solely to get a promotion. That's the American way. I am working hard to get a promotion. If I don't get it within the year, you're not going to get any work out of me. See, that tells me what's in your heart was self-promotion. But if it comes along and, and you are able to be made free, if it just is, is if it comes and God presents it to you, that you are able to, to gain some advantage there, go ahead, but do it for the Lord, not for yourself. You're calling the Lord while slave. You're freeing the Lord. You can still be in a very subservient role and have absolute freedom in God. And if we who claim to be of the land of the free and the home of the brave call ourselves free and glory in that, we need to be reminded that verse 22 tells us that we are Christ's slaves. Let's understand that in God there is no partiality. That no matter how much we might ridicule certain jobs, that God honors someone who is willing to work hard pay their bills. Whether you're flipping burgers, making sandwiches, emptying trash, we need to honor that because those things can and must be done to God's glory. Maybe you can honor Christ even better than the people with all the power. Because you can demonstrate true humility. But we are given this instruction in verse 23 that I don't want to neglect. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. This is kind of different than what he did with circumcision. Circumcision made it very clear. If you're uncircumcised, don't be circumcised. If you're circumcised, don't be uncircumcised. Don't try to make that lateral move. It's just a mess because your focus is wrong. Put it on Christ. And uh, he makes a statement that says, hey, if you're a slave, don't be concerned about being made free. Rather, use it. Um, and uh, he makes that one brief statement. If you're called free, you're Christ's slave. Um, but uh, let's talk about free men becoming slaves. Paul says, don't do it. And it's kind of different. It's not just, you know, one of the things. But he really says, listen, there's a reason why you should avoid it at all costs. And it's because you already have a debt. Most enslavement in Rome, almost half, well, a little bit over half of enslavement in this culture was by choice to pay off debt. They were debtor slaves. That is, I incurred a debt or my family incurred a debt, usually. Usually the family incurred a debt. To pay off that debt, they would often enslave sometimes one of their own children to your service. And they would stay in your service until that family debt to you was paid off. You know, we talk about our national debt as being our children's and great-grandchildren's head. Um, uh, I almost like it better if we just sold our kids off and to pay off our debt than we'd realize how, how much debt means. Because that is really what you're doing. You're selling your kids off. And so they would send a child, and that child might be very young, 10, 12, and they would have to go off and serve 
in another home until the family debt was paid off. And then it was a matter of what do I want to do? And it might, they might be 24, 25, 30 by the time that debt is paid off. And many times they'd say, I just enjoy this work and I'll just stay here. And they became a bond servant and their ear was pierced. That is where pierced ears comes from. Their ear was pierced to show and a, and a thing put in there, a ring put in there to show I am the slave by choice of my master. And it was a sign of subservience. With this piercing in my ear, I am showing that I am subservient to my master. That's why whenever guys wear earrings, I said, whose slave are you? You say, Pastor, you don't have a problem with women? Not really. If they want to show that they're, they're submitting to authority by piercing their ear and wearing a ring, that's fine. Okay? Um, if somehow you think that that's going to show that you're a slave of Christ, that's okay, I guess. Um, it's weird. We don't need to do that. I'd rather you do it by walking in righteousness. Are you free? Don't become a slave of men. And there's a real application here. You might say, we don't have slaves today. Yes, we do. Most of us are slaves because most of us have a debt to pay off. We have a debt to men. And this is the principle behind not ever going into debt is that you're enslaving yourself to men. And God says, as much as is possible, um, owe no man anything. We are told to pay off that and to live as free people because we have been paid. You don't belong to yourself. You don't have the authority as a believer to sell yourself to someone else because you've already been bought. How dare you try to sell yourself again? What would you think of someone who sold your horse and then sold it again to someone else? You don't have the right to sell that horse to someone else. I already paid you for it. And here, Paul comes and he says, Listen, Christian, you don't have the right to indebt yourself to someone else because you're indebted to me. I have this prior claim on your life. You don't have the right to give someone else that kind of authority over you. Because I own you now. I paid for you. And you have submitted yourself to me. And so Paul says, listen, I want to say a little bit extra here about this idea of free men. Um, Slaves, you, you came to Christ in that condition. You're carrying that big debt. If you are able to get out of it, that's great. And you should strive to do that. Um, But don't let it be the driving ambition of your life. The driving ambition of the Christian is to please God. Not to get ahead in this world. Not to get a second car, a third car, fourth car. Not to get that newest, brightest, sparkliest thing that just came out that everyone has to have. Um, No, that's not our ambition. Not to become the chairman of the board or the district supervisor. No. Our ambition is to please God. But in that condition, God says, listen, once you come to freedom, you don't have the right to indebt yourself again to men. Because you're mine. And I don't want any man to have that kind of leverage over your life. Free yourselves and stay that way. Why? Because we are here to honor Christ and Christ alone. And so we're finally given this instruction, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Certainly the application was to singleness and marriedness and and even in a miserable marriage with an unbeliever or a divorced, um, whatever condition of your past that you're bringing in to your relationship with God, you be content there. Not just with your stuff, but with your condition. I can be content. I can be satisfied. I can, I can be fulfilled in this 
state of singleness or marriedness or, or divorce without looking for a remarriage because that's unbiblical or being married to an unbeliever and being investing in that and sustaining that. And, and you can be content in that. Well, even being a slave of someone, God says you should be content. Doesn't mean a, no ambition. It means rather that I am at peace with my circumstances. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that our tribe will never have land in Israel. And I'll still stand for God and say, we are on the Lord's side. And then I'm going to wait for God to dump His grace on me. Not by making this undone, but by turning that into something to His further glory. Not to my comfort, not to my idea of what's fair, because frankly, um, just making the penalty go, the consequence of your sin go away isn't really fair, is it? We think, well, that's grace. No, grace is when God says, listen, you've invoked this penalty. I'm taking that penalty. I'm going to give you grace. And I'm going to bring that to a place where it is something that will bring me glory and something that you will enjoy. Pastor, I can't ever imagine enjoying my marriage to an unbeliever. That's because you don't believe God is good. Pastor, I could never believe that I could ever enjoy spending the rest of my life single. That's because you don't believe God is good. Pastor, you don't know what we're going through in our marriage. It is just misery day in and day out. And the only way I'm going to be happy is if I get a divorce. And that's because you don't believe God is good. You think you know better than God. And Satan has convinced you that it's okay to be discontent. It's okay to complain. It's okay to call God's goodness into question based upon your own present day happiness or lack thereof. And the message of God's Word is shame on you. Your job is to serve Christ where you are, in the home that you live in, in the circumstances that you are in, striving for righteousness in that place, in the marital state that you are right now in. I had a saying I kept using during camp. Being the game director isn't the most wonderful job because if a game doesn't go off, everyone complains. And there's always going to be a few that don't like every game. And they're going to complain. And I made a statement over and over again is I have this wonderful game for us to play, but if you want to be miserable instead... That's your choice. And by and large, I think most of the kids understood what I was saying. And they said, well, we're just going to play the game and have fun. Once or twice they got caught in their own muck and started to be, make themselves miserable by complaining instead of just laughing and realizing the goal of this game is just to get wet, isn't it? Yeah. Not to score points, it's just to get wet and be cool. You see, whenever we choose to complain, we are choosing misery. and We are denying God the opportunity to distribute grace to us. Our claim is against God. You're not good. When we are discontent, when we believe that we should be driven by hyper-ambition, when we enslave ourselves to men anew, when we boast upon our own work, all of these things rob God of glory. And the conclusion of that is to rob ourselves of His grace. 
There is no place in the Christian life for poor me. Poor me. It is the sign, I believe, probably in our culture, probably the best sign right now in our materialistic world of demonstrating true, mature godliness to say, I am happy in the service of the King. If that means I'm going to go around and serve a bunch of ungrateful teenagers for a week, I'm happy to do it. If that means I'm going to sit in the hot kitchen and cook all week and have people grumble because it's not McDonald's, I'm happy to do it. Because I'm not serving myself and I'm not trying to make my own grace. I'm not trying to find anything to boast in. I am there for God's to use or not use as He pleases. And that's what it means to walk in grace. I've made some horrible things in my past. I'm living the results of that. And now I'm going to live for God. I'm going to walk with Him as I've been called to do. I'm going to keep His commandments. And then I'm going to watch what He does. And i got to share with you, He can do some wonderful things. Whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord. Is what Ephesians 6, 8 says. You think you got complaint against God? Here's my contention. God has a lot more to complain about you than you have to complain about Him. Do you really want God to start complaining about you? He will receive the same from the Lord. God is prepared to do good. He's waiting for you to decide to accept it.